The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'm going to be offering some reflections, really a bit of a love letter perhaps, to um, the perspective of the Thai forest tradition of awareness. And reflections about equilibrium in awareness. So as many of you, perhaps all of you are aware, yesterday was the vernal equinox, spring equinox, right? And in addition to the obvious signs of spring, here it's rain and blooming flowers, perhaps where you are, it's allergy season, whatever it is. There's this big picture shift going on, planetary constellation shift. And this beautiful earth, our home itself, yesterday spun in this temporary but recurring place of equipoise, balance. For just a moment, one day, both of our tilting hemispheres had more or less equal exposure to light and darkness and And as of today, we have crossed the cusp and are moving away each moment further from the longest night of the year, closer to the sun, and cycling towards summer. So this kind of balance amidst inconstancy, anicca, in the Buddhist language of Pali, this moment of having equilibrium on this swiftly tilting planet that we're graced to visit for just a little while is something to kind of take in in terms of our own inner constellations and our own inner relationships. Because just like the relationship between the sun and the earth is dynamic, shifting, and also in a very important way is quite stable. So is the relationship between awareness and reality, between us and awareness. So this kind of equilibrium, this noticing of awareness can develop, as many of you know from practicing Dharma and perhaps practicing in the tradition of Sayada Utejaniya, the more open awareness style this kind of fluid, stable sense of being aware, being present, can develop through continuity of noticing mindfulness, sati, awareness itself, or the objects that appear within it. And I was struck recently, I happened upon an essay by a highly realized Thai forest tradition teacher. She's dead now. Her name is Upasaka Ki. And how similar the perspective is in that writing about how these Thai masters relate to awareness itself, to mindfulness, to showing up in an ordinary way. I'm going to read a quote. This is from Ajahn Chah, very famous Thai forest master. And um, it's talking about some teachings he'd gotten from one of his important teachers, Ajahn Mun. The clear sense that there is the knowing mind in that tradition called the one who knows. 
and then there are the objects of knowing. These are like mirror and the images that are reflected in it. A mirror is unembellished, uncorrupted by either the beauty or the ugliness of the objects in it. A mirror doesn't even get bored. Even when there's nothing reflected, it's utterly serene, equanimous. And this was a key insight for him, right? That he would compare later the knowing mind and its objects to being like oil and water contained in the same vessel, right? And mostly because our minds and lives are so busy and occupied, it's often as if the bottle is shaken up and the oil and water are kind of intermixed, but there's turbulence and you can't see through it clearly, right? So it kind of appears in a way that the knowing mind and their ob- its objects are all one substance. It's all clear, but it's kind of distorted. However, if we let our systems calm down, he talks about the oil and the water just naturally separate out. There's clarity. So just um, to juxtapose this a little bit, Saito Tejaniya, one of my root teachers, just like water takes many shapes and forms, it molds to the shape of whatever it's in, riverbed, ocean, lake, bucket, bottle. So too, awareness takes many, many different forms. It also can be in different completely different seeming states, just like ice crystals or vapor or liquid water. Water moving through rapids, water of an extraordinarily still, glassy lagoon. Awareness can be like that, can just morph in all of these different ways. There's no right way of relating to our mindfulness, our capacity for awareness. It's known through the objects, like the mirror is known through objects. The mirror is reflecting nothing. We might not even notice it's there if it doesn't have a frame. It can be that clear. This isn't really something to overthink. A lot, some people get kind of like tied up in knots about trying to notice awareness itself. It can just be noticing that you're noticing. What's obvious? What's known? Is there knowing in this moment right now? As I'm talking? It's that simple. It doesn't have to have a shape or form or flavor. It can. And what Ajahn Chah and Saida Utejaniya, all of the Thai masters, all of them, point to, just like Utejaniya points to, is that awareness can be entangled or disentangled with anything, absolutely anything. Love, joy, beauty, computer work, walking, sitting, pain, all of it can be disentangled from that. can be disentangled from the most beautiful and difficult of human experiences. And that, that provides a certain kind of respite. I like this um, also from the same book. This is a book by Ajahn Amaro, by the way, another Thai master. 
And um, Small Boat Great Mountain is the name. And um, he talks about Ajahn Sumedho, his teacher, who was in Thailand with Ajahn Chah. And um, at a certain point, the monastery had gotten this wonderful piece of land donated to them. And somehow the task with this new piece of land for this new monastery was to build a road to the center point for some kind of celebration. I don't know if it was a fundraiser or something. And so all of the monks relocated from the main monastery to this more sort of rough, and tum- not rough and tumble, but in the rough nature kind of place to together by hand hew out this road. And Ajahn Sumedho had been there for a couple of years. He was newish monk by those terms. And his meditation, it felt like it was really starting to get somewhere before they made this move. And then they moved it there and they started working and it seemed like everything fell apart. So in his naivete, he went to Ajahn Chah and said, look, this working on the road is really messing with my meditation. I want to just go sit. And Ajahn Chah, it said, could be a little wicked like this. He said, okay, sure. And he gathered the entire group of monks together and announced <laughs> this um, um, Ajahn Sumedho does not want to be working on the road. It's messing up his meditation. So he's going to go sit while the rest of us build this road. And he was given full permission to do that. Well, each of you can imagine what those sits were like, right? Just the first day was bad. The second day was worse. By the third day, by the end of the third day, he went to Ajahn Chah and said, I want to work on the road. <laughs> and um, threw himself into it with all of his companions and was happy because he was no longer trying for a certain experience at, well, at the expense of his fellows, which was a big part of the suffering, right? Being called out. But he was no longer trying to have his meditative experience be a certain thing. He was wholehearted in it. And Ajahn Chah kind of impishly came up to him and said, Sumedho, isn't it funny how you feel happier in the heat breaking rocks than you did sitting in the kuti meditating? But we're like that, right? We try for a certain experience and we're trying so hard that we miss. We miss that trying to separate ourselves from, trying to game it, trying to make it a certain way. It's kind of an argument with reality. And of trying to make awareness or our mindfulness or our experience, whatever it is, be a certain thing. And there's this relief, no matter how hard it is. When we give over to what is. And by that, I don't mean being a doormat. I mean accepting reality as it is. So, just like Ajahn Sumedho discovered breaking rocks for this road, which eventually did get built, the core of Buddhist practice is how we're relating to what's happening. Is there contention or is there ease? Are we wholeheartedly in it? We try to pull ourselves away to protect something that isn't helpful to protect a preference that isn't helpful to protect. This is from Upasaka Key. 
she talks about, and this is um, a teaching, taking a stance at awareness or taking a stance in awareness that she gave back in the 70s. And she says, if the mind can stay with itself and not go looking for things to criticize or latch onto, it can maintain a natural form of stillness, equilibrium. So it's something to try for in every activity. Just that naturalness of being with. Cooking, cleaning, being with others, family, friends, lying in bed, whatever it is. Then she goes on to say, if you get involved with a bunch of the issues or the duties that you're in, if you get entangled with them, the mind won't be able to stay still. So we have to keep watching things, even if they seem completely worthless, to see that they're not self, to see that we're not entangled. And then the mind will be at ease and equilibrium. She asks us to understand this basic principle, not to go grasping after this or that, not to go pushing away this or that for the purpose of keeping the mind more settled, allowing the mind to be more settled in itself. He says the basic theme is within. Look inward and keep on knowing. Then the mind will be free of turmoil, quiet, aware. So, as she's talking about this kind of beautiful vision of what our minds can be. She's actually talking about deep meditation here and keeping duties fairly simple. But this works in daily life too. All of this, all of this is supported by a continuity of checking in and noticing whether we're aware in this moment or not. Are we aware? There's a kind of all-encompassing awareness that can develop. 360-degree awareness, one of my teachers calls it. There's um, teaching from Andrea Bella that she's used on many of her retreats, this kind of style of noticing awareness, which is asking questions. Are you aware? I am. Are you aware? Of what? What's obvious? These are little inquiries, this power of interest, and just noticing right now. I like to call these vipassana koans. It's not something to be answered by words necessarily, though I mean word may come. But it's more of a, a deeper answer from our whole system, from everything that is within awareness. What's the quality of awareness? to get hung up on the words. Just let the question work and notice if there's a feeling, a response, perhaps even a non-verbal response. That interest itself is a superpower. It's its own reward. It's its own reward. And that unentangled interest comes from being more and more interested in the qualities of attention itself 
in the process of what's happening rather than the content, then we get less entangled, less caught up, less caught in the issues. As Apothecary said, Key said, don't go grasping after this thing or that. Or else you'll get yourself all unsettled. It's the noticing the knowing, even if it's knowing or grasping, that already offers a bit of separation. At times, awareness can be hard to notice. And then it's just noticing in here, noticing your presence, breaking rocks, sitting in a kuti. Whatever it is. But Upasaka Ki and the other Thai masters I'm quoting today are talking about if you can take your stance, your place, stand at the doorway, at awareness itself. If you're skilled at looking, she says, the heart mind can be at peace. If you're skilled at looking, things naturally settle to peace. And at times, that can feel like being the sky and allowing everything to unfold, the storm to unfold. All kinds of weather, birds, aircraft, atmospheric streams, whatever. The sky being unaffected by it, because the sky isn't really a thing, right? And other times, it can be more like being in the eye of the storm. Everything's unfolding. Maybe fast, maybe fierce, maybe beautifully. There's a sense of quietness in the midst of it all. Sometimes this experience can happen by um, sitting quietly in the midst of a lot of hubbub. Right? Like waiting for an airplane. If you're just calm and peaceful and not leaning into the next thing at the airport, so all these people and all this activity moving around. But it's possible to actually just be content sitting, reading, watching the world go by. So while at the deepest level of this kind of equilibrium, equanimous awareness, clients that Upasaka Ki were talking about in deep meditation, desire and aversion might not even emerge. In another way, There's another kind of equipoise, another kind of freedom that happens when wanting and not wanting, desire and aversion emerge, but we're not caught up. The awareness isn't pulled in. The oil has separated out from the water. It's just allowing at that point the desire and aversion or whatever it is, whatever the experience is, becomes food, fuel, for greater and greater awareness, towards greater and greater freedom, awakening. And it's that quality, that unentangled quality of awareness, that's a kind of attribute, a natural attribute of our hearts and minds. It's access to a fully awake quality in of itself, through that non-entanglement, 
It's the one who knows. The knowing itself can be uninvolved. And the Thai Forest Masters call this the Buddha within this quality. It's not always accessible, but it's worth noticing. It's worth appreciating when it does Ajahn Amar writes, when we come right down to it, awareness isn't a thing. Nonetheless, it is an attribute of the fundamental nature of our minds. Customary way of talking about awareness for the masters of the forest tradition was to use the word Buddha in this way, to talk about the fully aware, fully awake quality of our own mind. Whatever is looking, that's not entangled in what is looked at. It's that separation. It's possible to rest in the knowing of things, even for micro moments sometimes. Might be caught, caught, caught in the meditation, and somehow there's this equanimous equilibrium of awareness there. Rest in that for a while and pop back out into somehow being involved on a train of thought. But the art is to rest in that knowing when it's available or to just trust it even when it's not available. To trust that learning to know, noticing, knowing gathers a certain kind of momentum. It's partly trustable because we can't help but be aware. Try it. Try to not be aware if you're awake. And I don't mean like fully awake. I mean just not sleeping. Right? And this kind of noticing of awareness, mindfulness, it arises and passes. It's in constant like everything else. And there is a trustability to the relationship, just like the sun and the earth are in relationship, even when it's dark on this group, the sun is still exerting its power on the earth, even when it's dark in the mind. Darkness can be very comforting. Part of what's comforting is knowing that the sun is there. So in closing, I'll just say that letting go of clinging to any particular experience that unfolds within awareness or any particular experience of awareness itself, that's the fundamental point. When in doubt, don't cling to any particular experience. And this, this just on its own, is a really powerful form of freedom. Really powerful. core of Buddhist practice is how we relate to what's happening. Thanks for your kind attention. So we have a few minutes for questions or comments, protests. It can be about the talk, it can be about your practice can be observations that you have, insights that you have. Um, 
I will pause the recording so we can speak freely and then June. May our practice here together be a cause and condition for greater freedom, lightness, awareness, and peace in our lives and in all of the lives we touch and in all of the lives they touch. May all beings everywhere know the highest peace and joy of freedom. Thank you all for your practice and your attention, your comments, questions, and your silence. You're welcome to unmute to say goodbye if you wish, and I'll stay on for just a couple minutes if anyone wants to check in about stuff in a smaller group. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much.